for the first time, we are at the very beginning stages of a 10-year process of spiritual maturity here. Uh, this is the third week. The first week I preached uh, about, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, the first commandment. And Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought somebody was laughing at that. Um, <clears throat> it was about the fact that most of us, in order to get to the second mile of Christianity, must go through the first mile of Christianity, which is conceiving of God in an accurate and adequate manner. Most of us, as we have come through the Christian ranks, have gotten a picture of God that's way too small, that's one-dimensional. We think of him as the great rescuer or the great policeman or this or that. The fact is that we need to have a picture of God that is much, much broader than we have now. Secondly, last week I talked about the importance of Scripture and how important it was to read Scripture for yourself. And not to let anyone tell you Scripture. Except as an addition to what you had read and what God had taught you personally. Now, I brought out the point in that particular message that whereas we are a non-denominational Protestant organization, many of us who come, who have many family members who have a Catholic background, um, know that in the Catholic Church, both Scripture and the Church are equal in their authority in the finalization of how we should live our life. But in the Protestant tradition, only Scripture is the ultimate authority as to how we ought to live our life. But yet many of us are practicing Catholics because we don't read Scripture for ourselves. We come and let the preacher tell us how to live our lives. So therefore, even though we would deny that theologically, theoretically, that's what we practice. So therefore, it's very important that we read Scripture for ourselves. We will never get out of the first mile of Christianity until we... Um, are familiar with Scripture. And what happens when we read it is that there's a different part of our brain that records it. It teaches us how to think logically and sequentially, how to, how to think spiritually. Most of us, when we come to the Word, we're looking for an answer, for a particular answer. God has much more to offer us than a particular answer to a particular problem in our life. What he has to offer us is the capacity to think spiritually and to recognize spiritual things. Okay, now this Sunday, this is a tough one. And none of you are going to want to hear this. And so I'm, I am very well aware that by the time I get done with this, there could be two, three people listening still. It's okay. It's okay. Because in order to get to the second mile of Christianity, one of the necessities is to face the recurrent problem in our lives of personal sin. I will talk later on about corporate sin. But I want us to face the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that that is not a problem that goes away once and for all. And if we think we ever get past the point of having to struggle with our own sinfulness, our own pervertedness, when then we are, of all people, the most deluded. Now, let me just share with you how I understand that it's tough for us 
to listen to messages about personal sinfulness. Martin O once said that sin is the one of the few things in the universe that the more you practice it, the less you recognize its true nature. And that's true of sin. The Bible says that the serpent was the most subtle creature in all of the garden. And what the Bible was talking about was this. That we can see theoretically the existence of sin. You know what? There are many, many more people who believe in sin than believe in God. Who are practicing the theoretical dominance of sin in their life. Let me just give you an example. You could be an atheist. There may be an atheist here. Does not believe in God. You came along with your wife to be nice to her. But let me tell you something. You believe in sin. You know how I know? Where's your car key right now? It's in your car? It's in your pocket, isn't it? Is your house locked? Bet it is. Do you resent it when you go to ask for a loan and they check your credit? No. Why? Because you recognize the world is full of sin. You understand that? Do you resent the fact that when you drive down the street and stop at a stoplight, there's a police car that may pull over alongside of you? No. Because you recognize the world is full of sin. It doesn't matter where you are theologically. Everybody recognizes the existence of sin and lives by it, lives in light of it. However, when it comes to Christianity, we love to talk about sin theoretically. We don't like very much to say, this is my particular sin, or I'm just as bad as the, as, as the next guy. The phrase we always hear is, well, I'm just as good as the next guy. Oh, good, goodness gracious, we're all in trouble. You know what? I heard a, there's a salesman that goes here that, that, that goes and sells stuff. To, I, I forget what he sells to prisons, but he, he goes to a lot of prisons. He was telling me a few weeks ago, I've, I've told some of you this last week, telling me a few weeks ago that he went to this certain prison and he was talking with one of the inmates. And the inmate was there for burglary, robbery. And, uh, and, uh, and the guy who's a salesman in this church says, you know, I just read in the paper about a robbery that happened in our area last week that um, the robber just broke in and not only stole the stuff but killed the people. And the inmate said, you know, it's guys like that that give robbery a bad name. <laughs> and the guy says, what? He says, guys like that give robbery a bad name? He said, now me, myself, I never stole from poor people, always rich people. And, and the salesman said, don't you think rich people work as hard for their money as poor? Well, I don't mean rich people. I mean rich people who had insurance to cover, so I never stole from people, always stole from insurance companies. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I'm a convict, but I'm not a sinner. See, my, my thing is not as bad as another person's. All of us do that. It is very difficult for us to admit that our stuff is just as bad as the next person. There's always something that makes it a little bit okay. I remember when one of my cousins got saved. This is on the Bayshore side. She, and, 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 and one of the, you know, when you get saved, you're always full of more zeal than wisdom. And you want to go out and just save the world, don't you? Forget this sowing and reaping stuff. Get me to the reaping part. So he made a beeline for my grandmother, Bayshore, who was a staunch First Methodist woman. And, you know, in the 50s, you didn't talk a whole lot about being sinners because it wasn't polite. I mean, you, had, you maybe had a, a good long word for it, like alienation or separation, but not sin, you know. And so he went and just said, you're a sinner. Well, she was incensed. And I went up there, and she was kind of teary-eyed. 
And she said, Joey, you just call me a sinner. I'm not that bad, am I? I said, Grand, we're all sinners. Oh, no, we're not. We don't do... Th-, you know, but what she was taught to... You know, if you were nice, if you conducted yourself as well as you knew how, then you weren't a sinner anymore. And all of us know that we all are, don't we? It's tough to admit that that is a personal target. But let me just share a few biblical words for sin and tell you what they mean and see if it doesn't hit home. The Old Testament word for sin, most of the times, used 580 times in the Old Testament, is hata, and it means to miss. To miss. To miss a mark, to miss a standard. Now, for some of us, that seems like it would be okay, because we could say, well, if you miss every once in a while, that's no big deal, because you're trying to hit a mark. And sometimes it's even comical. There was a lady who came in last Sunday night to the Life Training Center, and she got right in my face. I love this. Got right in my face, she said, now look, I want a basic Bible study. Simple, basic Bible study. I'm not used to this stuff. Don't understand this book. Something simple, something practical, something basic. You understand that? I said, sure. So I said, right, I'm thinking to myself, the book of James. It's very practical, very basic, you know. So I said, right through those doors, you're going to find the answer to what you want. Well, she didn't go through the door I pointed to. She went into the room next to it, which was New Testament Greek. She came up. <laughs> An hour later, she's staggering out of this place going, Is that the easiest class you got? <laughs> she was battered intellectually. But see, when you miss, you know, there's, there, there are consequences. You know, it's not just aiming for something. And you know, you remember, you remember, did anybody ever watch Evil Knievel in his jumps, you know? And of course, he takes 15 runs up the thing. Brum, brum, brum. Runs up, and finally he goes over. Did you ever see him miss? Oh, it's an awful thing. It's an awful thing to see. It is painful, personally painful. Listen, when the Bible says missing the standard, it doesn't mean just intellectually stepping, well, I made a mistake there. It's painful. There are bumps and bruises to missing. But not only are there bumps and bruises on the outside, more exactly, I want to teach you about what happens on the inside. Two aspects. First of all, the most used word for sin in the New Testament is hamartia. And it means to miss the mark, but it also means a malignancy inside of us that will not let us see something as it is and will not let us act as we want. If you will turn to Romans chapter 7, let me read this to you. Romans chapter 7. And this is Paul, and mind you, this is Paul after he has written Romans chapter 6 that says that sin no longer has mastery over me. This is Paul as a spirit-filled Christian. Look at verse 15 with me. For that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Did you ever have that? You know, you just, you're trying to avoid it with all your might, you do it again. See? But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing it is good 
Because the law points out what sin is. It points out how we're falling short. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. Sin has a separate existence. It dwells in us. Now he develops it even further. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. You know, natural man separated from God, there's nothing good in there. It's all selfish. It's all self-seeking. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For if the good that I wish to do, for the good that I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wishes to do good. Now picture this. Sin is not so very far from cancer. And all of us have types of forms of cancer residing in our body. It's just that our immune system is now suppressing them. Even those of you who have had actively had cancer know that the eradication, you can be well, you can eradicate that cancer. But the term is more accurately remission. All of us are now in remission. Now listen to this. Sin is never totally cured. Anyone who says he's not, he doesn't, who doesn't have sin, is a liar. I mean, the Bible says, First John, read it. Anyone who says he's without sin is a liar. But, but it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let me tell you how important that is. I had a brother-in-law who was a biology major at, at uh, uh, Ball State University. And you know, you remember being in, in college, that you take off on these trips, study leaves, if you're fortunate enough. And he went to Belize to study the insect kingdom there. Well, he got down there. What's so funny? What are you guys laughing at? I'm not to the funny part yet. No, this isn't funny at all. Matter of fact, this is sickening. Uh, I hope I'm, I'm catching you right before lunch here. This is very graphic. He got. He, he got this guide who was this um, big American woman who loved all the animals and just kind of like took him through the jungles and showing him everything. And he came upon, you know, he was just about to go through a bush and she ducked down, grabbed his shoulder, pulled him down. She said, ooh, 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 Mark, Mark, look. And out, just weird, out in the middle of this, of this, little bitty clearing there was a big tarantula crawling along but this huge insect kept dive bombing this tarantula it was the size of a hummingbird later he was to 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 be able to to uh, uh, know that its name was a tarantula wasp well they were really going at it this this wasp was dive bombing and of course this tarantula was up on its hind legs getting his fangs out trying to hit this thing and he just for minutes this went on finally this tarantula wasp dives down, flips this tarantula over on its back, and sinks her stinger into his abdomen. But by the same token, the tarantula now can sink his fangs into the wasp. And both of them lay still for a few minutes. And then the tarantula righted itself. 
The tarantula wasp just lay there, and the tarantula crawled off into the bushes. And Mark looked at the guide, and he said, So the tarantula won. She looked at him, and she said, It appears that way. But what you didn't see was that when the tarantula was stinging, tarantula wasp was stinging the tarantula in its abdomen, she was also depositing her eggs in its abdomen. And those will now grow and suck the life juices for their own growth and develop into larvae and finally they will kill him and out of that dead tarantula will be born its enemy. I told you. I'll be laughing before I get to the punchline. Do you see the ugliness of sin? Do you see what it does? Turn to James chapter 1 and read with me. This is 14 and 15. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says the exact same thing I just told you. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Who of us doesn't fight that battle? Now look what happens. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You see what effect sin has in us when we hide it when we don't confess it, when we are not cleansed from it. We cannot ex- escape our nature. We cannot escape that which will finally bring us down. You see, only sin can only be cured by a spiritual, medicinal treatment. Now, let me tell you the second word. <clears throat> second word is adikia. And it means that which harms others. The sin doesn't only harm us. It harms others. It hurts others. When we don't mean to, it hurts others. I talk to so many people every month who will say repeatedly to me, you know, I know I'm destroying my life. I know that... that, uh, This is something that will kill me eventually. But I love it so much. I choose it. I choose to destroy my life. I'm going to do it. That's just the way it is. But when I say to them, so you're destroying your kids too, what do you think of that? They get this look on their face like, gosh, I am? They don't understand Adakia. They don't understand that what we do has a profound effect on other people. And you know, from your own life, there are things that you will do for your kids you would never do for yourself. There is a life that you will live for other people you would never live for yourself. If you were the only one involved, you'd go for it. Because it's enjoyable, and you've got to die someday, so you're just going to die with a big grin on your face. But let me tell you something. The grin never comes. And even if it did, it would never come for your children. Never come for those who love you. Remember that old song, 
by the ink spots. You always hurt the ones you love. The one you never should hurt at all. More accurately, the words would be, you always hurt the ones who love you. That's who hurts when you are destroyed. The ones who love you are hurt. And I don't care how we approach the sin that destroys our lives. We have dressed it up with a lot of really neat new labels. I mean, there, there, are, there are criminal labels. And there's a legal strand in the Bible. There are criminal labels that will label certain destructive behavior as criminal. You know, spouse abuse is now a criminal offense. Uh, child molestation is a criminal offense. Um, on down the line, we have legal um, descriptions of the kinds of sins that we have now. Even more popular and much more useful are the clinical approaches we take. Well, so-and-so is obsessive-compulsive. So-and-so has this kind of disorder. So-and-so has this wrong with them, and they can maybe fix it with such-and-such. See? What we have taken... Uh, Carl Manager wrote a book, Dr. Carl Manager, one of the greatest psychologists in all the country, wrote a book uh, a few years ago called Whatever Became a Sin. And in that, he detailed and outlined the language we now have for what used to be sin. And that's okay. If you've got that language and you want to use that language, that's okay. But please don't fool yourself into thinking that either the legal nor the clinical is a resolution to the problem. That is sin. It isn't. It isn't even a good categorization of it. Let me ask you a question. If you see a lady staggering down the street, and she's obviously drunk, is that a legal problem? Or is that a clinical problem? Maybe both. If she's staggering down the street, she may be disturbing the peace. She may be able to be arrested. If she's staggering down the street, maybe she needs to get into AA or some kind of recovery program. And you can categorize her either way. But let me tell you something. If that woman is my mother, all the categories in the world won't hold that problem or solve that hurt. If a little girl is molested, You've got a legal description of what's happened. You've got a clinical description of what could be happening. But that's your little girl. And nothing's going to solve that hurt. Except for God. We can, we can argue all day about abortion and whether or not it should be allowed. I don't think there'd be very much argument in here, but the other side does have some humanitarian arguments. And some things that we all need to listen to. But if that's your wife, if that's your child, or that's your sister, or that's your daughter or your granddaughter, all of the argument in the world is not going to solve it. You see, there's only one solution. And it isn't an intellectual one. And it isn't a legal one. And it isn't a medical one. It's a spiritual one. Pure and simple. Pure and simple. Now, let me give us an opportunity to pray. And let me give you an opportunity to ask God to show you something in your life that because of your sin may still be broken.
something that you could give to him so that you would not hide it anymore in your heart. Your bones would no longer be crushed. Something that only he can take care of. Sinfulness, our own sinfulness, our continuing sinfulness is something that we need to be aware of. But we also need to be aware of God's healing, cleansing power. And that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me take, say two things before we pray. First of all, if you do not have access to God personally, if you've never accepted Christ and invited Him to come and live in your heart, that's the first healing that needs to take place. Because that is your access to healing. For continual healing. That's what you need to do. And Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And whoever opens it, He'll come in. Just ask him. Just say, look, I am a sinner. It wasn't a mistake. It was a sin. And I want you to come and live in my life and cleanse out all of the crud that's in there. The second thing I want you to know is this. I didn't tell this to anybody else, but we're running long and I'm going to run longer. I don't care how broken you are. I mean, I do care, but I don't. that, that does not matter because God can fix anything. I heard a story a long time ago about an old guy that came to a house and, and wanted a place to sleep and they put him down in the basement. And there wasn't anything down in the basement but a bunch of old antiques, a bunch of old junk and there was this old harp down there that didn't have but two strings on it. And, and uh, anyhow, in the middle of the night they heard this beautiful harp music coming from the basement and they went down and here this old man is playing that harp. And they said, how did you even repair that? And he looked at them and he said, I have been making these for so many years. I can repair all of them. Let me tell you something. God's been making people for so many years. He can repair them. He can repair them. Give them the chance. Now, as is our custom here, periodically we just we, we ask people if you want to to come forward. First of all, let me do this. Elders, if there's any elders in here, would you come forward and pray with people who may want to pray with you? Uh, just stand here. And elders' wives, too, so that we have some women up here. Um, and, and if you would, if you want to pray with somebody... Good, we got some more elders. Good, thank you. If you want to pray with somebody, let's have a, let's have a woman over on this side, too. Could, would, a, would a woman go up there and pray with somebody? Thank you, Ann. Um, if you sometimes it just helps. You don't have to say names and dates and all that kind of stuff, but just come up and say to someone, "I want you to pray with me about this and agree with me about this." Then, uh, then just open it up and let someone else pray for your healing. Now, some of you may want to stay where you are and do that, but if you feel led to come up and pray and have another Christian agree with you, would you use these few minutes to do that? Let's pray together.